Uh, let me begin by saying that uh, we live in a society where we rush, rush, rush. It seems that life is passing us by because we rush so much. But we need to pause and look at the lilies of the field like Jesus did. We need to pause and look at the sparrow like Jesus did. We need to look at the beauty God created. But we also need to look at the ugly things in the world that we don't like to look at. We need to look at those images on TV of starving children where their bodies have become a source of food for flies. Not only do we need to look at God's beautiful creation, but we also need to look at the ugly distortion that has entered the world because of sin. We need to look at all those starving children that don't even have the strength to cough. We need to look at those old women and men with their mutilated bodies in alleys in third world countries begging for pennies for food. Uh, many times uh, we turn away from such images, but we need to pause and look and not rush by them as if they don't exist. Jesus paused and see those that were blind, that were crippled, full of disease, and full of leprosy. We need to pause and do the same. I uh, titled this uh, message, We Need to Back Up. When we read the Gospels, we notice that it is the ministry of Jesus that leads to radical beginnings just when none seem possible. In the gospel, we see that just when all hope is gone, just when there is no future in sight, just when one is ready to give up on life, Jesus comes along and gives them hope for the present and hope for the future. When people see no hope in sight, no hope on the horizon, Jesus comes along and gives them hope. When a woman in John 8 is caught in adultery and the religious leaders want to stone her, Jesus comes along and forgives her sins. At her execution day, Jesus comes and pardons her. In John 9, we see a man who was born blind and has lost all hope for ever seeing again. But Jesus comes along and gives him his sight. He thought that he was condemned to total darkness forever. But Jesus, the light of the world, comes along and gives them his sight. Then in John 11, when we see Martha weeping because Lazarus has died, but then Jesus comes along and tells Martha, I am the resurrection and the light, and, I, and Lazarus is raised from the dead. Even in the midst of death, there is hope. This is what I meant when I said that it is in the ministry of Jesus that leads to radical beginnings just when none seem possible. When we read the Gospels, and hopefully all of you have read the Gospel, we see that everything hinges on the ministry of Jesus, and everyone's hope is in the ministry of Jesus. That's why the Gospel of Matthew and Luke only give us a quick glance at the birth of Jesus, and then they rush to the ministry of Jesus, while the Gospel of Mark and John even eliminate 
the birth of Jesus. The reason Matthew and Luke rushed through the birth of Jesus while Mark and John even eliminated the birth of Jesus is because the birth of Jesus is only a hope. Let me explain what I mean. The birth of Jesus gave Mary, the mother of Jesus, hope that one day in the future, Jesus will reign and his kingdom will be, have no end. The birth of Jesus gave many hope for the future, but not for the present. It also gave many hope that one day Jesus will put down the mighty from their thrones like those corporate crooks from Wall Street and exalt those that are poor like you and I. The birth of Jesus is also a hope to Zechariah in Luke 1 that one day in the future, Jesus will save his people from his enemies. Also, the birth of Jesus is a hope is a hope to the shepherds that a Savior is born who in the future is going to save his people. This hope we find in the first and second chapter of Luke in the birth narrative. To those that understood the birth of Jesus, to them the birth of Jesus was only a hope for the future. That what they heard from the angels would one day in the future come to pass. It was a hope not yet fulfilled. So the gospel writers rush through the birth of, to the birth of Je- uh, uh, through the birth of Jesus, not because it's not important, but because they experience and know that it is that it is in the ministry of Jesus that the hope spoken at the birth of Jesus will be fulfilled. The gospel writers know that the hope spoken by the angels at the birth of Jesus will become evident in the ministry of Jesus. So they rush to the ministry of Jesus and the Gospels. The reason for this is because it will be in the ministry of Jesus where this hope will engage and come alive in a world of despair, torment, and hopelessness rules. The Gospel writers know this, so they rush to the ministry of Jesus. The gospel writers are like us. When we were kids who rushed to eat our frijoles, our beans, our vegetables, in order to get to the dessert that was waiting for us. And once we get to the ministry of Jesus, we see that Jesus is presented to us as the one who could be trusted. Jesus is presented to us as the one that could make a difference in our lives, like you and I. We also see that at times, Jesus' words were harsh, as we read in Luke 6, 25, where Jesus says, Woe unto you that are full now, for you shall hunger. Woe unto you who laugh now, for you shall weep. At other times, we see that Jesus' words are demanding, as we read in Mark 10, 21, where Jesus tells the rich young ruler to sell all that he has and give it to the poor. Sometimes Jesus' words are harsh, And sometimes they're demanding. But those that were open and willing to receive from Jesus didn't even notice these harsh and demanding words of Jesus. When someone is open to Jesus, when someone is willing to receive from Jesus because all their life, the only thing they have received from life is a bad hand and a rotten deal, they know and understand that these harsh and demanding words are not for them. 
but to a world that rejects Jesus and who is dying. When Jesus said, woe unto you who are full now, for you shall hunger. When Jesus said, woe unto you who laugh now, for you shall weep. When Jesus said these words, there were people there who were hungry. There were people there who were weeping. And they understood that these harsh words were not for them. What they were hearing was that Jesus was going to bring laughter back into their lives. What they were hearing was that Jesus was going to wipe away their tears. What they were hearing was that what we're hearing now, that Jesus will make a difference in our lives like he has in many of us. And let me say that Jesus is here now calling us to a better life. Jesus wants to put laughter and joy back into our lives. Jesus wants to wipe away every tear from our life. And all we have to do is be open and receive. Open to Jesus' love, compassion, and grace. Also, what people noticed in the time of Jesus was that their life and the life of others had changed. People had seen that those that were born blind were able to see. People had seen that those that had been crippled were able to walk. And people understood that this change did not come by proper means. People seen and understood that the blind received the sight, that the crippled were able to walk, not because of some medical breakthrough, not because of some technological discovery or scientific di discovery. People seen and understood that there was someone called Jesus who was no ordinary man going around and healing people. Cyclone experienced this. They also seen that the way he was healing was by speaking. Jesus spoke and they were healed. Someone different was in the neighborhood. Someone different was in the barrio and someone different was in the ghetto. To the religious leaders of those days, this was in violation of proper order. Just like in VO, we do some strange and crazy things that people just don't understand. See, this was in violation of how things are supposed to be done, especially if one is healing on the Sabbath, which is a violation of the law. But Jesus didn't care what day it was. The blind were going to see. The crippled were going to walk. And the dead were going to live again and praise the name of Jesus. To the religious leaders, the way Jesus was healing was not only a scandal, but scandalous to them. But it was also a threat. It was a threat to them, a threat to their system, and a threat to their power. To the religious leaders, Jesus was a scandal. Because this uneducated Jesus, who had no religious credentials, no BA, no BS, no MA, no PhD, went around healing people on the Sabbath, which is a violation of the law. In our day, everyone wants a title doctor. Everyone wants credentials to give them authority. The reason Jesus was a threat to the religious leaders was because Jesus did this on his own authority. He didn't need no credentials. And therefore, Jesus was against the leaders and the people were for Jesus. The religious leaders were upset with Jesus because Jesus didn't get their permission 
to heal people. They were upset. And let me say that the devil, those religious leaders, will get upset with us when we go out and do God's work. They got upset with Isaiah. They got upset with Jeremiah, Jesus, Paul, and Sonny. And they will get upset with us. But to Jesus, when someone is sick, he don't have time to ask no religious leader if he could go heal them. When Jesus is, when, when people, when someone is sad and needs a little laughter in their lives, Jesus don't have time to ask some religious leader if he could go put a smile on their face. When someone is hungry and naked, Jesus don't have time to ask some religious leader if he could go and feed the hunger and close the naked bodies. And when someone is dead like you and I were, Jesus ain't got time to ask some religious leader if he could raise us from the dead. Jesus ain't got time because someone needs a healing. Someone needs to get set free. To Jesus, people are sick. People are lost. People are dying. So Jesus has to go and seek and raise those that are lost. Like my wife and Pastor Shela goes out and the rest of you. And if Jesus could make the blind to see, if Jesus could make the cripple walk, if Jesus could raise the dead, Jesus could set us free. And the good news is that just like Jesus didn't uh, get permission from the religious authorities to heal people, Jesus don't need our permission to heal us and set us free like you and I. Because Jesus knows we cannot save ourselves. I couldn't save myself from my heroin addiction. I tried many times. Nothing could save me. But one day, Jesus came and set me free. Also, of all the gospel writers, Luke, point, Luke points out and is aware that the deeds of Jesus took place among the victims of society among the prostitutes, among those that were poor and sick. Uh, Brother Luke must have been going to Victory Outreach at that time. And Mark is more sensitive to the fact that the hardness of heart can stop the work of Jesus. According to Mark, it is possible to resist the work of Jesus and remain in our sin and in our bondage. We could resist what God wants to do in our lives in our marriage. But we, as we read the Gospels, we see that there were many who were free to embrace what Jesus was saying and doing. Some resisted Jesus, some embraced Jesus. In fact, the whole ministry of Jesus can be summarized in Luke 7, 22, where it states, the blind receive their sight, the lame, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, up, the poor have good news to them, and broken marriages are put back together again. That is the ministry of Jesus. In Mark 3, 6, we see those who want to hold on to the whole order. Those who want their system to stay the same. They weren't willing to accept something different or something new. That's why we always have to be open to something new. In this verse, Mark 3, 6, it states that the Pharisees went out and immediately 
held counsel with the Herodians against Jesus, how, he could, how they could destroy him. Here we see that in just three chapters in Mark, a conspiracy is formed against Jesus. Those that rejected Jesus, what Jesus was doing and saying, then waste no time to plot how they could destroy Jesus. In Mark 3, we see the Pharisees, who are the interpreters of the law and the guardians of the law. And the Herodians, going to the Herodians, those who are under King Herod, the tyrant, who are the main violators of the law, and they reject the law. In other words, we see two groups who hate each other. They hate each other, plotting together to destroy the one they hate. Two enemies coming together. Here we see the political system, who are the Herodians, and the religious system, who are the Pharisees, who hate each other, coming together to kill the one they both hate. Two enemies plotting together to kill Jesus. Jesus was a threat to their system, and Jesus was a threat to their power. But while the plot and the conspiracy was forming against Jesus, we see others who instead of rejecting Jesus, embrace and accept Jesus. In Mark 4.41, we hear them saying, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? In Mark 7.37, we hear them saying, He has done all things well. He, is, he even makes the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. In Luke 5.26, Luke says that amazement seized them all, and they glorified God. And we're filled with awe, saying, we have heard strange things today. See, these passages tell us that people stood in amazement. They stood in awe. They marveled when Jesus spoke and healed. But now, after 2,000 years of reading the stories of Jesus, how he made the blind to see, that he made the lame to walk, and the, and the deaf to hear. Now these stories are so old familiar that the wonder and amazement is lost to us. We don't even stand in awe and amazement when we read that Jesus gave sight to the blind or when Jesus raised the dead. The awe and amazement is gone. Some of us don't even read these stories anymore. Maybe we don't stand in wonder because for the most part, uh, for the most part, we don't live in a world where the blind see again, where the lame are able to walk, and the deaf are able to hear. We don't stand and wonder because it didn't happen to us. We weren't physically blind, we weren't physically crippled, and we weren't physically deaf. Since we didn't experience these miracles ourselves, the wonder doesn't capture us, the awe escapes us. And the reason for this is because we have to go beyond the miracles of Jesus and arrive, arrive at the heart and center of his message. Just like the Bay Area has a heart, God, uh, the message, the gospel has a heart also. It tells us in the Old Testament and the New Testament that these, there was a disease called leprosy. It was a disease that covered the body with white swollen spots. It was a disease 
that turned the person's hair white and disfigured his body. It was a disease that was eating away the flesh on his body. It was a sight that no one would want to look at. And once a person was, or was declared a leopard, they were considered unclean and banned from society and religious ceremonies. They were considered rejects. So at the time of Jesus, there were laws that forbid people to touch one with leprosy since they would also become unclean. They could be considered the untouchables. There were laws that segregated those with leprosy from the rest of the people in society. Being unclean was contagious. A leper was contagious. Those with leprosy were considered unclean and therefore outcasts. If you touch or eat with a leopard, you become unclean and a reject also. We also have to understand that Jesus being born and raised in this Jewish society understood the laws of the Jewish leaders. And those laws he didn't like. So the laws that violated God's law, Jesus would break and violate like Martin Luther King Jr. did. Because a law that violates the dignity of a person is no law at all. And one such law that violated God's principle that all people are made in God's image was the law of clean and unclean. That the religious leaders had distorted. Religious leaders distort many laws. You see, the religious leaders in the time of Jesus distorted laws that were handed down to them that we find in the Old Testament. The most distorted law was the law of clean and unclean, or pure or impure. Those that were considered righteous and those that were considered sinners. They made a division, separated people into groups. Some are good, some are bad. Some are rejects and some are accepted. And one of the clearest interpretation of this law was that a person with leprosy was unclean and therefore a sinner. The leprosy made them a sinner. They distorted the law because they thought since they were religious uh, leaders, since they were religious leaders, they viewed themselves as clean and righteous. And they thought that they had the God-given right to say who was clean and who was unclean. Like today, they discriminate. We're good, homosexuals are bad. But we're all unclean and we're all bad. But like I said before, the laws that Jesus don't like, he breaks and violates. So we see Jesus, who is the new lawgiver, in the house of Simon the leper, eating in Mark 14.3. Let me read that verse. Mark 14.3. While Jesus was in, at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he said at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment. And she broke open the jar and point the ointment on his head. Many times as we read this passage, we rush to the incident where a woman pours precious oil on the head of Jesus without even noticing Simon the leper. Since the woman is the main character in this story. So we rush to the woman and ignore Simon the leopard. 
We rushed by Simon, who was a leopard, and only see the woman who was pouring, pouring ointment on the head of Jesus. We rushed by Simon the leper, as I did right now. We reject Simon, like others did, because of his leprosy. We reduce him to silence and non-existence. We leave him in the margins, margins of death without no voice. But what, I, but what we need to do is back up and take notice of Simon the leper. We need to back up and not rush so quick to the woman in this story. We need to back up and see Simon the leper with all his body full of sores and see his flesh that has been eaten away by leprosy and his body disfigured. We need to back up and see ourselves in Simon the leper. And even though the law had considered Simon the leper unclean, even though the law had banned Simon the leper from religious ceremonies or church and banned him from society because of his leprosy, like you and I, we see Jesus in his house eating with Simon the leper. We see Jesus eating the food and eating the bread that Simon the leopard had prepared with his own hands that were full of leprosy. In the book of Revelations in 320, Jesus says, I am standing at the door, knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come to you and eat with you and you with me. And here in Mark 14, 3, we see Jesus doing that with Simon the leopard. Jesus is dining with Simon the leper. How many of us would dare to eat the food of a person that was full of leprosy? How many of us would dare to eat the bread that was made and touched by the hands that were full of leprosy? Well, we see Jesus doing just that in the house of Simon the leopard. Uh, one time when I was a kid, I experienced uh, uh, something. Uh, I went down my, I was about eight, nine years old. I went down, uh, uh, my, I don't know if he was a relative or a friend, but I went down to this house. And he was getting ready, so I guess the grandmother invited me in, sat me at the table. And she made me some toast. And at that time, people couldn't afford uh, jelly or jam, so they used sugar and put it on the toast. Make it a little sweet. So uh, she gives me the toast, and she goes into the jar in front of me with a skinny old little wrinkled hands and picks up a scoop of sugar and puts it on the bread. And I look at her wrinkled hands, and I said, I'm not going to eat that bread. <laughs> so I'm over thinking, what am I going to do? So she turns around, goes the other way, does a little something. I get half the bread, put it in my pocket. My like that. And then she turns around again. I took the other half and put it in my pocket. And then she turns around again and does the little things. And I get the other half of bread and put it in my pocket. Okay, she turns around. And then she says, Oh, you want some more? I tell her, No, yummy, yeah, I'm already full. Thank you. And this is my point. 
By Jesus eating in the house of Simon the leper, Jesus contradicts and violates the laws and the rules considering uh, clean and unclean. Those that were considered righteous and those that were considered sinners. Those laws that the religious leaders made that separated people made some unclean while, uh, while others like Simon the leopard unclean. And of all the laws that contradicted the compassion, love, and mercy of God was the law that stated that some people were clean while others were unclean or sinners. Because like I said, we're all unclean and we're all sinners. This law of clean and unclean put many on the margins and outskirts of society like us. And when we feel rejected in the outskirts of society, it's a lonely and awful experience. And all of us have experienced this. And some of us are still experienced it. We feel like Simon the leper. Uh, let me add also that rejection comes in many forms. Sometimes rejection comes through our spouse. Sometimes we're rejected because we're not as social as others. Sometimes we feel rejected because of our weight. Sometimes people reject us because we're not good looking or because of our personality because we're not as funny as Pastor Greg. Sometimes we're rejected because we're uneducated and don't speak well like I used to. I didn't speak well for a long time. I had to work on it. Sometimes we're rejected because we're too educated and those with less education don't understand us. Sometimes we're rejected because of theological differences. One may believe in the rapture, the other may not. One may believe in miracles, the other may not. So we reject each other while the world looks on and therefore rejects the gospel. The Bible speaks of two kinds of poverty. In Luke 6, 20, it says, Blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Let me read that again. Blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. This passage speaks of a literal poverty. No food, no clothing. The kind of poverty that people experience in third world countries. They lack the basic necessities of life. In first world countries like ours, we don't experience that to that extent. But in Matthew 5, 3, it speaks of a different kind of poverty. It states, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Let me read that again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. This kind of poverty is called a spiritual poverty. When a person's spirit is broken because of rejection or hurt. It is the kind of poverty, uh, spiritual poverty, that everyone in the world experiences that many times leads to suicide or a distorted, disorientated life. That's why we see so many uh, people committing suicide or killing people because they're rejects of society, so they live a disorientated life. What we do is internalize or we embody or own that rejection or hurt. We own it, and therefore we live a spiritual poverty life with no dignity and no hope. I was raised in L.A., where all ethnic groups were segregated. 
So as a young boy, I experienced rejection by white people because of the color of my skin. But I also experienced the fact that white people were better off than, color, than people of color. And what happened is that I internalized this rejection and asked God, why didn't he make me white? And because of the rejection by others, I rejected myself. I rejected my color. I rejected my people. So I went through life carrying this rejection through many forms. And let me be very honest. Even though I know that I am accepted by Jesus unconditionally, I still at times struggle with rejection like many of you do. And I suspect that Simon, at times, Simon the leper struggled with it too, as Jesus did also. But uh, don't come up to me and say, can I pray for you, Pastor Paul? I'm okay. I'll survive. Hey. In this passage, we see Jesus breaking all the boundaries of this law by eating in the house of Simon the leper. Eating the food prepared by Simon the leper. And listen carefully, by Jesus eating with Simon the leper, Jesus is calling into question all the moral laws and distinctions that society was based on. And many times we are no different than the Pharisees at times. We make distinctions, we reject people, we put them into groups. What Jesus is telling the religious leaders of that day is that those laws that you have created that separate people from each other have no basis in the character of God who is all mercy, love, and compassion. And by Jesus questioning their moral laws, Jesus is destroying all the distinctions that bring people into slavehood and bondage, all the differences that separate people. To Jesus, a law that separates people from one another just because some are sick while others are healthy, just because some are poor while others are rich, or just because one's person's skin color is a little darker than the other, to Jesus, this kind of law is no law at all. And when Jesus destroys these laws, something begins to happen. Something new begins to happen. When Jesus begins to destroy these laws of clean and unclean, we read in the gospel that those with leprosy start taking on new flesh. We see in the gospel that the sores the lepers had start disappearing and their hair starts turning brown again and even kinky. And when this happens, we could see them looking into a mirror again and start seeing a little bit of the image of God again. They start seeing the dignity and worth that God gave them. And we have to understand this, that it wasn't leprosy that destroyed the image of God in Simon the leper. What destroyed the image of God in Simon the leper was a law that stated he was unclean and therefore a sinner. And Simon, like many of us, internalized and became spiritually poor. And with that law destroyed, Simon the leper could say with all his leprosy, eating his flesh, with all those sores on his body, that he is still made in the image of God, that he is still a child of God, and no law and no one is going to determine who he is or who we are. 
The story doesn't say whether Simon the leopard got healed or not. But I do know one thing, and that is, as Simon the leopard, as the host of the house, took the bread with his hands full of leprosy, as the custom was, and gave it to Jesus, and Jesus takes it from his hands and eats it, I know that at that moment, a deep healing was taking place in that torn body of Simon the leper. I know that there was a deep healing taking place even deeper than if Jesus would have healed his body. His spiritual poverty was broken. To a person like Simon the leper, who because of his leprosy had been banned from society, had been separated from his fa family and from the ones he loved, Simon the leper, who had forgotten what an embrace felt like, what a tender kiss felt like, like many of us, or a whisper in his ear sound like. In this simple act of Jesus taking the bread from Simon the leper's hand, or even just being in the house, a deep healing was taking place in Simon the leper. Finally, someone had accepted him the way he was. Finally, someone had gone beyond his leprosy and seen that there was a human being in that torn and mangled body of his. Finally, someone had touched his loneliness. Someone had touched his pain. Someone had touched his isolation. Someone finally had accepted him the way he was, and that someone was Jesus. Jesus goes beyond what the world views us as. Jesus sees children of God that are loved by God, accepted by God. That's what Jesus does. He brings people out of death, out of the tombs and swamps society has buried them in. Society had, society had buried Simon the leopard in the tomb of leprosy and rejection. But Jesus set him free. Jesus gave him back his worth. And society has buried many of us in whatever tomb or swamp we find ourselves in. But Jesus, as he broke his way out of his own tomb 2,000 years ago, is here now to break us out of our own tombs. And when Jesus calls us from death, when Jesus brings us to life, all we could do is praise the name of Jesus. Because plain words cannot explain what Jesus has done in our lives. That's why I still dance. That's why I still jump. I still, that's why at 71 years old, and I'm going to be jumping and dancing till the day I die if I'm 90 years old. I'm not perfect. Even in all my imperfection, we could still praise it. You could ask my wife how imperfect I am. No, don't ask her. She might tell you. Um, so what Jesus does is takes, us back, takes back what society and the devil has stolen from us. The devil wants to break our marriages and everything that God wants to do in our lives. Like Simon the leper, society and the devil had lied to him that he was unclean and therefore an outcast, a reject. And therefore he made that rejection his own. He embodied that rejection. But Jesus, eating the bread that Simon had made with his own hands, is, re is restoring the dignity and the image of God that society has stolen. From Simon the leopard and I know that from that day forward Simon the leopard was a new person he might have still remained a leper 
But for Simon, that leprosy was not going to determine who he was because someone like Jesus said no to the law and said yes to Simon and to us. And let me go a step further by saying what Jesus is saying to Simon by eating with him is that those that make laws, that make people into rejects, are no longer in power. Tell someone the devil is no longer in power. Those who said to Simon that he was worthless are no longer in power. Those that said to Sonny that he was hallucinating when he had a vision that one day thousands of prostitutes and dope addicts were going to be marching into the kingdom of God, those people are no longer in power. And let me finish with this. In general... The healing of Jesus caused amazement and celebration. Even the religious leaders were amazed when Jesus healed someone. But the teaching and actions of Jesus caused something else. It created resistance. It created hate. So we see that the early stages of the ministry of Jesus, they conspired, they plotted how they could destroy Jesus. They plotted because Jesus was overturning the laws they created. Someone knew was in the scene that the leaders could not manage. Someone knew had come and was creating a future that was different than, the, than what society had planned for Simon and for us. The devil's plan is to keep us in bondage and captive to, to what some believe we are, that we're no good, that we won't amount to nothing, just like me. I... I really didn't go to uh, 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 junior high or middle school. I was uh, a dropout. But after I got saved, I started went to school at the age of 31 for about 14 years and finished my uh, degree. But, uh, and I could do it. Some of you have a high school education already. I didn't even have one and uh, didn't even know how to speak well. But if I could do it, anybody could do it. But Jesus comes and wants to show us a better way and take us out of whatever gutter or swamp we're in. Jesus wants to break bread with us like he did with Simon the leper. He don't care if your hands are clean or unclean. He don't care if you're gay or straight because his purpose is to make the inside clean and give us a new direction in life. Jesus wants to fill us with hope with dignity and restore what the devil has taken away. All we need to do is bake a little bread for him and invite Jesus for dinner and he will come. All we need to do is cook and fry a little frijoles, a little beans, a little arroz, a little tortillas, and Jesus will come and dine with us. And after we finish eating with Jesus, we will not be the same. We will be a new person like Simon the leper. We will still carry the scars of the past in our bodies. But the inside, we will feel clean like Simon the leper. When I got saved 41 years ago, I felt so clean in that altar. I didn't want nothing to do with the world. Not even love. Not even sex. Because I didn't want to get contaminated because I had never found, felt so clean in my life. That's what Jesus does when he saves us. He transforms us. He gives us a blood transfusion. 
This is what I meant when I said that we have to go beyond the physical miracles of Jesus and go to the heart of the gospel and see the deep spiritual healing that takes place when Jesus comes and eats with us, as he did with Simon the leper. We need to open our hearts and ask Jesus to come and dine with us. And when we invite Jesus for dinner, he won't be late. Jesus will be on time. Tell your neighbor next to you, we need to back up. Uh, but, you know, for those new that are new here, let me explain what I mean by eating with Jesus, dining with Jesus. Uh, all it means is embracing Jesus, inviting Jesus into your life, telling Jesus, Lord, you're going to be Savior and Lord of my life. That's all it means. Making, having Jesus when you're having breakfast. Having Jesus' presence when you're having lunch. Having Jesus' presence when you're having dinner. And I guarantee you, when you do that, you will not be the same. You will be transformed into a, di a different person.